for nearly two decades. The award-winning Your Financial Editor program on 930 WFMD. News from the worlds of business and finance with your financial editor, Chris Murray. Welcome to another edition of the Your Financial Editor program right here on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And don't forget, go to uh, iTunes and you can get the Your Financial Editor program as a podcast. Uh, so glad to have you along today. Hope your weekend's going well. Um, and just in general, everything's going well for you. I am Chris Murray, your host. A good program for you today. We're going to be uh, talking about some of the top stories of this past week, some economic data. And then joining me in just a little bit, uh, we're going to have a uh, a former lieutenant general in the United States Army. He's an expert on national defense policy and strategy. Uh, he's the kind of guy that... Uh, testifies before Congress on defense strategies, on budgets, equipment modernization, all that kind of stuff. Now, as a financial, economic, and business type show, you might wonder, well, wait a minute, did I tune in to the, uh, the, the right program? Well, the answer is yes, because we're going to talk about the importance of the United States military, because if you don't have national security, you don't have economic security or financial security. So it's important for us to stay uh, well informed about what's going on uh, with our military and our uh, defenses in general. So I look forward to uh, having that conversation in just a little bit. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, we'll jump to some of the top stories. Uh, you know, we just can't get away from the COVID stuff, you know, the whole virus thing. Um, we know that the lawmakers are uh, playing tug of war to try to figure out how uh, they're going to get some economic relief to the people that need it, not waste. This is our taxpayer money. We're borrowing against what our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren are going to be responsible for. So um, this has to be targeted. Enough money has gone out the door already. Uh, people do need additional money, certain people certain businesses, certain industries. It's not, you know, let's put something under the Christmas tree for everybody, um, especially those that don't deserve it. So we're watching that unfold, and uh, they're trying to get the, you know, the details together. One of the things is the uh, tug of war is about the debate over liability protection. You know, I talked about this seven or eight months ago. It became apparent that businesses and institutions were going to have to be protected from trial lawyers. Uh, you can't just go somewhere two days later, um, get the virus, and then say, oh, yeah, well, I got it while, I was, while eating at a restaurant or pumping gas at a gas station or you fill in the blank. There's no way. And the problem with that is we know there's no way, but if you're sued, you have to defend yourself. Businesses are already having a tough time. They don't need legal bills that they can't afford to pay because of some ambulance chaser. So it's very important that conservatives hold the line on this. Um, you know, multiple relief has been offered from uh, Leader McConnell, from the White House, and uh, it was turned down because it didn't have all the freebies and the pork and the special products and uh and and perks in there for uh, uh people that again don't need it. So 
you know, you also had the bipartisan group that included Mitt Romney and Joe Manchin and Susan Collins and Mark Werner. You know, they came out and tried to kind of make their stand at the beginning of the month, but they look like they're left out in the cold. Um, so hopefully, like I said, uh, the right thing will be done and the people that really and the industries that really do need this money, relief money, truly, that they get it and that they get it as quickly as possible. Could have already had it, but this is all politics. Um, and Pelosi, she admitted that. You've probably seen the clip if you watch, um, you know, various news reports where she said now they can do something that they want to do because um, there's going to be a new president, she said. So it's just all politics. You got people, you know, literally, you got people dying. They're being abused, overdosing on drugs, can't get to their AA meetings. So they're falling back into alcoholism, financial losses, divorce, hunger. That's all on them. I've said this the whole time. They have to own that. Some people actually prayed for this, that there would be some something that impacted the economy that would hurt the current administration because they thought that was the only way that uh, they could win. Uh, now we're seeing that uh, a lot of interesting information that maybe there's other ways that they could find a, 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 an avenue to win. So, um, you know, it was an interesting interview this week. From the former CEO of McDonald's, Ed Renzi is his name. And he said, you know, Main Street's in a lot of trouble, especially the restaurants because of the virus and the uh, restrictions that go along with it. So uh, he was arguing that the government has done a very poor job, his words, not mine, giving consistent direction, his words, not mine, during the pandemic. Uh, Renzi said the uh, virus has been devastating for the restaurant industry, which we all know. Uh, they've just been, restaurants have been brutalized, particularly if they have nothing but indoor dining. You know, the restaurants that have delivery and the drive throughs they're weathering the storm much, much better. And it was nice that he was pointing that out. And, you know, you go back just to September, the National Restaurant Association had some data from a survey that they had. And apparently nearly 100,000 restaurants closed either permanently or long-term uh, with about 3 million, 3 million employees still out of work. And they're on track by the end of the year, uh, the industry is on track to lose $240 billion. So um, and the other thing that I appreciated from uh, Mr. Renzi when I was uh, listening to the interview was he pointed out that cleaning is not an issue for restaurants. They're always cleaning and sanitizing. That's been part of their their shtick for, you know, forever. That's what they do. Not all of them, of course. Some of them are crud holes, and they're not going to stay open anyway. But most of them do. They care about their, you know, how they uh, present their um, their place of business. And they want it to be clean and, and healthy and sanitized. So... It's just ridiculous, these crazy uh, restrictions that we're seeing. Also, we're seeing um, some interesting comments uh, this week from another, uh, well, an important person. It's Ken Langone. So he was the co-founder of Home Depot. Um, very philanthropic. I mean, he's got a ton of money, billions that he's donated to hospitals for their research and development and for building on to these uh, hospitals. I mean, it's unbelievable what the guy has done. 
And he was ta- you know, he's a New York City resident. He's right in the thick of things. And he said that he's very concerned about the future of New York. And that's because there's this mass exodus from the city to states like Florida and uh, Texas because of what they've seen during uh, the virus. They've seen violence, looting, uh, burning, assaulting police, uh, people not being, you know, being arrested and then not having to worry about being bailed out. They just it's a revolving door. Um, we know what an epic failure uh, a lot of the politicians have been. Um, it's funny. Most people see it, but they themselves and in, in their bubble, uh, really, which is inside the Beltway, inside these cities, they don't get it. But uh, Mr. Langone said uh, he thinks that the governor and the mayor need to really be concerned. And um, he said, look, I, you know, I realize they're thinking ah, I'll be out of office someday and somebody else is going to be left holding the bag, uh, the bag. But, you know, he was saying you have to be careful because it's a very fragile situation in New York right now, and he's worried about it. Um, What prompted this, besides all the mayhem that I mentioned a moment ago, was that uh, Goldman Sachs, you know, they've got an $8 billion revenue-generating division, and they're looking to move to either Palm Beach or Fort Lauderdale. I mean, this is where the rubber meets the road, when these big forever established individuals and businesses in New York and New York City say, I've had enough and I'm leaving. So uh, Mr. Langone said he had no doubt after 9-11 that they were coming back stronger and better. And that's what happened. But he doesn't harbor that same enthusiasm now. So why Cuomo, de Blasio, which are epic fails, why they don't see it, I don't know, other than they don't care. Uh, we see the same thing as far as the exodus. This has been decades in the making in Chicago and Baltimore and Atlanta. Portland has just been a bonfire this year. Um, Los Angeles, San Francisco is just unbelievable um, what they've become. Philadelphia, same thing. So very interesting to hear from Mr. Langone because, again, he is the elite. He's a multi-multi-billionaire, um, but he just doesn't live inside that bubble. He sees what's really happening, and he's not afraid to uh, to talk about it and, and the reality of it, if you will. Um, if you're looking for a job, CVS might be a place to go because they said that they are looking to rapidly hire thousands of employees to help administer the virus vaccines. So they alerted customers over email this week that they're trying to um, up their workforce urgently in order to be ready for the um, the folks that want to get in there and get vaccinated. And it's really across the board. Um, you know, they're talking about pharmacists, pharmacy technicians, nurse practitioners, physicians assistants, licensed practical nurses, licensed vocational nurses, registered nurses, infusion nurses. Um, You know, if you're a person that is looking for work or maybe you want some additional income and you're just going to work extra hard while this gig is available to you, uh, again, CVS and I'm sure the others are going to be announcing the same type of urgency. It might be something really good for you and your families. So I wanted to put that out there. So some good news from this week, besides that CVS is hiring, which is good news. 
J.C. Penney emerged from Chapter 11 bankruptcy on Monday. So Simon Property Group and Brookfield Asset Management are the new owners and operators of J.C. Penney's. Um, so they're in charge of the department store now. It's good news as far as I'm concerned because these retailers, like the restaurants and other industries, airlines, have just been decimated this year because of the restrictions. You know, we're talking about a 118-year-old company. So when it, they said they were going bankrupt, like a lot of other, these other companies, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking, not just because of the people losing their jobs and um and folks not being able to go and patronize them, but it was just terrible to see. So under the agreement, the company will operate under new ownership. They're still going to use the J.C. Penny banner. Um, and as part of the deal, the property holding companies will own 160 of J.C. Penny's real estate assets. And they're also going to own all of their distribution centers. So good for J.C. Penny. Quickly, I might add. Coming out of bankruptcy. That was really good to see. Also interesting and, and good news, we had a really successful um, and big IPO, initial public offering this week, uh, Airbnb. Uh, their sh- shares more than doubled in their debut. The stock began uh, trading at $146 on the NASDAQ, higher than the $68 it was valued at. So when you saw it just bust out of the gates, um, at 146 as it started trading that put the company's value at 101.6 billion dollars versus the 47 billion that was um suggested by the folks that were pricing the IPO so that 101.6 billion dollars you know, just based on that, when it came out that morning, the company was worth more than Marriott, Hilton, and Hyatt combined. So you've got a company that was just founded in 2008 that totally changed the hospitality industry. And how they did that was they proved that as of September, at least, when I was looking at the the data, The company had more than 7 million active listings of homes and experiences. And it just goes to show that, you know, people are comfortable in someone else's home or apartment or condo or beach house or whatever it might be. So um, and and of course, with Airbnb, they've really rocked that entire uh, industry and um You see these companies, I mentioned, you know, Marriott, for example, and others that are saying, hey, we can do that, too. And you see them um, kind of changing directions and and switching uh, management styles, etc. So those are two good stories. A good laugh. Supporters of uh, Bernie Sanders are pushing for government-run banks at the postal office. No lie. The The group, which is People for Bernie wrote that regardless if Democrats are able to flip the Senate, and they were talking about the runoff races in Georgia on January 5th, it can still win postal and public banking systems. So Sanders has called for a postal banking system whereby local post offices 
would be authorized to provide financial services. Billion-dollar bailouts, right? I mean, come on. Can we just get postal delivery really in order first and foremost? I mean, because the mail-in ballots went so well, right? And and now we're going to open up uh, some banking. Unbelievable. But it's true, and I wanted to make sure you heard it. Some economic uh, data on uh, the other side of this break. So stay tuned. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And also you can go to uh, iTunes and download the Your Financial Editor program uh, as a podcast. So you can listen to it, uh, share it with friends if you find it interesting, which today's one of those days, folks. Um, I just I feel good saying that, uh, not misleading you, getting ready in just a little bit to talk with a former uh, Lieutenant General, General, excuse me, from the United States Army um, about the condition of the United States military. So um, I talked at the top of the program why, you know, what's the deal? Well, it's simple. Even though this is a business, financial, and economic type-based show, um, if you don't have national security, you don't have financial security. You don't have economic security. So we're going to be talking about that and uh, and and getting you know like right down to the brass tacks on uh, where we are with our uh, military these days. So when we look at the economic data uh, from this past week, uh, it was mediocre. Uh, you know, there was unfortunately more poor news than uh, than good news. We saw. The NFIB, the National Federation of Independent Businesses, their small business optimism index declined uh, 2.6. So it came in at a reading uh, in November of 101.4. Six of the 10 index components declined. And when you listen to the NFIB chief economist, we had him on earlier this year, Mr. Bill Dunkelberg, um, Bill was saying that small business owners are still facing major uncertainties, including the virus and the upcoming Georgia runoff election, uh, which is shaping how they're viewing future business conditions. Now, they're pretty concerned. The recovery will remain uneven as long as we see state and local mandates that target business conditions and disproportionately affect small businesses. So you can go by Walmart, which I'm fine with Walmart. You know, I, I like Walmart, um, and have a totally packed parking lot. But another small business down the street is not, 
may be allowed to open at all, or they can have whatever, 25% capacity. Um, stupid. I, I think that's a good word for it. It's just stupid. And there's no, you know, the more we ask for, uh, and I've told you this too, months for months now, the whole science thing, we're going to follow the science. And yet when you ask for something, they can't provide it as far as a study that proves what they're saying works. Um, so I had mentioned, you know, until if you want to talk science, fine, but put the word exact in front of it, because I don't think most people know what they're doing and everything just keeps changing. So this is really impacting these small businesses. Um, when you look at the key findings of the report, when I was on the NFIB website the other day, earning trends over the past uh, past three months have declined four points to a net negative seven percent. Inventory investment plans for the next three to six months decreased. It's not what you want to see. It's already hard on these uh, small businesses. And sure, you know, for the midsize, but especially the big businesses, they have lines of credit, many of them billions of dollars. They can go to the capital markets and raise money through equity or, or bond sales. They'll be fine. A lot of them are sitting fine already. But what about these small businesses? It's tough, really tough and unfair. So, um, you know, we'll just keep talking about it, keep fighting for them, because they definitely need somebody on their side. They're not getting it uh, from Pelosi or, you know, the others. Um, they're putting politics in front of all this. And I'm, again, I'm not just saying that. It's easy. You can watch it on video. She says it. People are dying. People are overdosing. People are committing suicide. People are losing their cars or their homes. What about the food lines? Unbelievable. And they're playing politics on who's going to get the credit and can they get some of their pet projects, 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 excuse me, done. It's just so frustrating. We also saw this week um, when the initial jobless claims report came out that they were up 137,000 more than the previous week. The total number, 853,000, according to the Labor Department. That's the highest since September. That's a scary number. I mean, the rebound of the labor market, which, by the way, before the virus made its way here to the United States, you were talking 50-year lows or more. It was a wonderful jobs market. For years, I had been purposely talking about the Bureau of Labor Statistics piece of it. It didn't matter if you were white or black or brown or Asian or Hispanic. It didn't matter if you were a lady or a man, a teenager, a 30-year-old. It didn't matter if you dropped out of high school, if you got your AA degree, if you had a Ph.D., all those numbers improved for everybody. Fact, it's statistics. And then the virus comes and blew it all up. And people had nothing to do with it. 
that are being punished by it. So it's really, really um, a shame. And, you know, I get it. Like, I get mad at the uh, the politicians, especially the ones that don't know what they're doing, um, and the people talking garbage about the science and what mask works and which one doesn't and just go home and shelter in place and all that nonsense um, when, obviously, people know how to take care of themselves. They know how to take care of their elderly family members or those that are sick. Um, it's just, it's, it's been, it's been really, really hard on so many people. So I get mad at the politicians, but you know what I always remember to do? Send some hate to China's way. And it's not good to have hate in your heart, but for something like this, where not only did they deny it at first, they tried to blame it on us. And now they're saying it made its way into their country, country through frozen food or any other communist propaganda that they can come up with just makes me hate them more. Um, so don't forget when you really get frustrated, you know, and you need a, a little bit of a release, just start hating on China because it works. It really does. It'll make you feel better. It'll put things into perspective and it'll remind you of, uh, the type of country and the type of people we're dealing with, uh, when you look at the Chinese communist party. Um, lastly, and this was no surprise. We saw our U.S. budget deficit just skyrocket. The deficit widened by 25% in October and November, the first two months of the new fiscal year. Um, so it was up 25% over the last um, previous October and November, the first two months of the fiscal year, according to the Treasury Department. You know, look, when we're spending 9% more and revenue declines 3%, we all know that's easy. That's napkin math. I mean, it's not going to work. So a lot of money was spent on, you know, various programs like the food stamps program. That was up 36%. Medicaid was up 16%. The Labor Department said so Medicaid in 2019 for October and November, three point seven billion Medicaid for October, November 2020, over forty five billion dollars. So just astronomical and really puts us upside down after, you know, a tough fiscal year last year. We just unfortunately see more of it. Um, so that's really a shame. Hey, I, I forgot to mention before the last break, um, are you paying too much in taxes in retirement? That's the latest complimentary download we have for you. Um, so you can uh, go to murrayfinancialgroup.com. It's right on the homepage. You just click that download button, and um, it downloads immediately, no strings attached. I think you'll find it interesting. It's uh, not a long read, but it has a bunch of good information in it. It's titled, Are You Paying Too Much in Taxes in Retirement? And you go to murrayfinancialgroup.com, and as I mentioned, it's right on the homepage. On the other side, uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking with a former lieutenant general in the United States Army about uh, what our military looks like right now. So looking forward to talking to him, and I think you're going to enjoy it. Stay tuned. 
Your financial editor with Chris Murray on 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 and uh, WFMD.com. You can go to iTunes and get the Your Financial Editor program as a podcast. Uh, if you're uh, a first-time listener, welcome. If you've been with us for a while, great to have you still along. And if you're a long-time listener, uh, we just celebrated our 23-year anniversary of the Your Financial Editor program. Started on a cold November uh, back in 1997, so had a ton of fun along the way. Been able to talk to a lot of really um, neat, uh, accomplished folks and uh, it's just been a lot of fun. So uh, glad to have you along. By the way, today's uh, discussion is the same. Really looking forward to it. I have been uh, all week long. Uh, so the program, historically, as you folks probably know, but for those who don't, we talk about uh, business and finance and economics, a little bit of political stuff. So when I mentioned earlier at the top of the program, we were going to be talking with my guest this morning, uh, Mr. Thomas Spohr, who uh, was a former lieutenant general in the United States Army. Some eyebrows may have gone up. Well, it's really simple. We need to understand, um, really understand and, and appreciate uh, our military and our uh, national defense, because if you don't have national security, you can't have economic security and financial security. It just doesn't work that way. You can look at other countries and see it. So uh, as I mentioned, our guest this morning, Mr. Thomas Spohr, uh, he served for 36 years in the United States Army. He's an expert on national defense policy and strategy. He's the kind of person who has uh, the brain power that Congress uh, loves to listen to uh, on his defense strategy or if it's about uh, modernizing the, uh, the the military or if it's budgets, you name it. So, uh, Mr. Spohr, thanks so much for taking time uh, to be with us today. Chris, I'm happy to be here. Thank yes, sir. You. Yeah, thank you. So if you would... Um, you know, 36 years is a long time, and, you know, we really appreciate uh, all that you did for the country by serving um, from when you first uh, started to the last day you left. And I was reading your uh, bio, you know, your son and daughter uh, served. So, you know, we really appreciate that. How much has the military changed from when you started to what you see now? A, a great deal. When I came in, there was still a lot of the People that come in had been drafted. Some of uh, most Vietnam veterans' uh, drug use was fairly common in the military. The equipment we were still using some equipment left over from even uh, Korea uh, days. And so uh, the military that we have today, the one that I left in 2016, radically different with you know much higher tech equipment, uh, soldiers 
that have uh, volunteered uh, versus been drafted and really want to be there. And so it, it really, uh, you can't, they're almost, uh, you wouldn't recognize it if, you, if you'd seen it. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I can't imagine, you know, uh, how much of a transformation uh, has occurred over that period of time. Um, I always like to think we're the world superpower, whether it's economically or our financial engines or, you know, our entrepreneurship um, and also with the military and our defense. Do you believe that we are still number one in that category? Yes, I do. The U.S. military is the number one uh, military power in the world. We have uh, great forces, great equipment. We're not the biggest, but we're the best. I think if if we had to fight, and we don't want to, but if we had to fight, we could militarily defeat any uh, single country uh, in the world. Um, and so for that, we're okay. The, the dilemma becomes when you look to the future. And so there are Especially China is on a trajectory where they're spending um, six, seven uh, uh, percent growth year over year on their military, and the U.S. military of late has been kind of uh, flat spending. And so we're, the trajectory right now is not good. But as of right now, at this moment, we have the strongest military in the world. Do you think um, our elected and appointed officials uh, realize what you just mentioned, and, and it's it's that apparent that hey, we're going to have to do something if we're going to uh, keep up with China? I mean, they've been very forthright with what their plans are, and they want to be number one, just like we're number one. They want to overtake that. So, uh, do you think that people recognize that and they're prepared to do what's necessary to keep us in the number one spot? Chris, it's a mixed bag, and so they're, and it's it's not even a completely um, partisan issue. Uh, there are some, uh, there are congressmen, senators on both sides of the aisle that see this need, know that we need to keep continuing in the military, build a strong navy, invest in our air force and army. Then there are others that they may acknowledge that at some level, but they they see a higher priority in the United States, so they. Rather than invest more in the in the military, they might want to spend more on uh, uh, health care, poverty relief, something like that. So I, I think it's gradually uh, sneaking into their everybody's intellect that uh, this is a problem we need to contend with. There is a lot of difference though on how we actually what we do about that. Okay, so it's going to come down to leadership and people actually kind of. Um both sides of the aisle uniting to make sure that that uh, happens and that we continue in the right direction? Yeah, exactly right. And a lot of it, I think, depends on our national leaders, the president, uh, national security leaders talking about this problem, you know, communicating to the American public. And sometimes that has been uh, missing. You know, the, the federal government kind of turns inward and 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 doesn't communicate well with the American public. And that's in in times like this, that's what's needed. You know, Frank talk about uh, where the United States is in relation to uh, the other threats in the world. Absolutely. Talking with my guest this morning, Mr. Thomas Spohr. He's the director uh, for the Center for National Defense at the Heritage Foundation. Um, and uh, one of the things I saw, uh, Mr. Spohr, in, again, reading your bio, uh, when you served in senior leadership positions in the Pentagon, uh, you really developed uh, a passion that every dollar provided to the U.S. military by the taxpayer is applied to directly improve readiness and not wasted. And, of course, I'm sure that's one of the arguments that you have in politics and even outside of politics at think tanks 
is that there's not a lot of efficiency. There's a whole lot of waste, uh, that type of thing. Has that improved or has it uh, worsened uh, over time since you've been involved? Yeah, I, I, you, I think since around 2011, there's been a real uh, distinct push, uh, both internally, you know, people in the Pentagon, and then Congress and others pushing on the Department of Defense to become more efficient. So they, the Pentagon, just as an example, the uh, Department of Defense used to have just a pure uh, defined benefit uh pension plan and uh, that has changed it's become a hybrid now it's a hybrid between defined benefit and defined contribution and so it's not just a full pension you have to uh, put money in like a 401k and then to some degree the government will match that uh, and so they've tried to become more efficient in that regard they've also uh, slimmed down the size of their headquarters and they've looked for any kind of efficiencies uh, they can find so i think and it doesn't go widely reported, but the DOD has really, um, I think, become more efficient. People point, however, to the size of their budget. It's over $700 billion, and they, they continue to say, surely there must be waste and fraud and abuse inside that number. And I'm not going to say there isn't, but I think uh, that that problem has really uh, shrunk in recent years. Yeah, and that's great to uh, to hear. And of course, if you have a seven hundred billion dollar annual budget, there's there's no way that you're going to be a hundred percent on everything. And like you said, some things are going to fall through the cracks. I think that that's acceptable. If it's abusive and and you know uh, big percentages, then you know people should be more concerned about it. And I appreciate you talking about you know the uh, defined benefit plan. Um, interesting tie just this week our son who's a marine you know he's in the tsp plan the thrift savings plan and he called me and said hey you know dad do you think i'm in the right funds and i'm going to send you a screenshot of my options and so it's not just the taxpayer that's on the hook but you've got these uh these folks that are in the military uh that are taking you know self-responsibility also to a certain extent where they're making sure that you know they're they're making good decisions with what's offered to them and i think it's a win-win for the taxpayer and for those that have uh chosen to serve no i think i think you're right chris and, and uh my son too served before this was an option so he served for five years in the army and then got out and when he got out he had nothing you know so he didn't have the option to be in the tsp and or the government didn't match it and so uh, when he got out, it was all defined um, benefit, and if you get out before 20 years, you get nothing. And so I think this, for those young people that you know don't want to make the military a career, I think this is a much more favorable option for them. Yeah, I agree 100%, and and I appreciate you because I wouldn't have even thought of that. Um, I appreciate you bringing that up. We're going to squeeze in a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with our guest this morning, Mr. Thomas Spohr, uh, talk more about uh, how uh, we can help the military fight for the future of our country. I would venture to guess that 99.9, if not a full 100 percent of the folks that enjoy the Your Financial Editor program um, are enjoying this and, and like learning about these important things and uh, I know you support the military and um, and all those that do give, have given. Uh, so stay tuned because we'll continue this conversation in just a minute.
Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD, WFMD WFMD.com. Also, you can go to iTunes and uh, get the Your Financial Editor program as a podcast. Really appreciate you uh, being with us this weekend. I hope your weekend's going well. And um, we're having a great conversation that we're going to wrap up on this side uh, with my guest, Mr. Thomas Spohr. Uh, he served for over 36 years in the United States Army. He attained the rank of Lieutenant General. Uh, he's a expert on national defense policy and uh, strategy. His operational experiences include service uh, with the 82nd Airborne Division and the 1st Armored Division, uh, participated in various things like Operation Urgent uh, Fury, which was the invasion of Granada. And um, he got a degree in biology from uh, William & Mary. He got a Master's of Arts in Public Administration from Webster, and he also got a Master of Arts in Strategic Studies from the U.S. Army War College and wrote a really good piece uh, that I saw this week uh, that prompted the invitation to, to speak with him. It's, um, it, it's, it's really good. It's called How Can We Help the Military Fight for the Future of Our Country, which is so important. So, uh, Mr. Spohr, I saw in the article when I was reading it, that um, more than 165,000 volunteers were needed uh, last year to meet the Pentagon's recruiting goals. Um, how did that go? Yeah, they got them in, in 2019, but the Army fell short in 2020 by about 3,000. So they were hoping to get 65,000 volunteers, and they got some 62,000 uh, volunteers. And so came up 3,000 short um, Maybe COVID, you know, COVID affected everything. Maybe that had a role in this. But on the other hand, uh, periods of high unemployment, which the country is just now coming out of, usually are better for military recruiting. So I don't know if we can blame this shortfall in recruiting on COVID. Um, do you think that, uh, and, and I, you know, I talk with our children. I have a 23-year-old who went to James Madison who's in the private sector. I mentioned our son who uh, is 21 who's a Marine, and our daughter, who is uh, 19, just out of high school um, in her first year of college. You know, uh, how do you feel about uh, the portrayal that these uh, children get, even in high school and through college, as there's a lot of what I've found, um, a lot of negative sentiment that comes out of these institutions? And do you think that might be a turnoff to some of these younger people that – in another time or another way, you know, might end up in the uh, in the military. Yeah, I, I think there are some people in positions of influence, teachers, professors, that probably don't keep those views secret, and so they they have the ability to kind of pollute the water, if you will, in terms of military service for Americans. Um, but it didn't, you know, even in just negative, it it really we need Americans uh, to just promote it. And not promote not yet not even negatively, but use a you know a positive view of the military and all the benefits it can bring. And I don't think that happens. You know, there's statistics that say 46 percent of the influencers, and that's parents, grandparents, teachers, 
uh, only 46% would recommend a uh, someone go in the military, a young person to enter the military, and that's that's troubling to me. I don't. I think that number has probably gone gone down over time. No, I agree 100% there with you too. I mean, it's it's uh, there is this negative uh, vibe with associated with the military, and in even first responders, you know, the police officers, the firefighters, the EMTs, um, they just don't get the the respect and the credit that they deserve uh, these days. And that's why, again, your article really caught my eye because it is an important thing for these younger adults to understand. Now, I'll follow that up by asking you, if you don't mind, so when your son Peter came out five years and entered the private sector, was he well-received because of his background? Yeah, I mean, as a matter of fact, he was. His the skills that he had learned, the leadership, the discipline, uh, his ability to uh, communicate with people was far superior to those, you know, that he was contemporaries with in college. And so, even though he, you know, he was five years behind in terms of entering the private sector, he quickly uh, accelerated. I think past those who had already, you know, had gone immediately in the private sector and really was not behind at all. And so, I, you know, I. I think a lot of people worry that they're going to get behind, they're going to be coming out of the military and have to take an entry-level job. And they may that first job may be entry-level, but they will quickly, I think, zoom past others when people see the, uh, the experience they have. So of all we've talked about today, which there's been a ton of important stuff, for all of you parents and grandparents that are listening, I hope you got that because I believe it's uh, total 100% true. Um, and that you go in, you serve, you come out. Uh, again, I can talk about our son. So he went to college for a year, but that's only because I made him, because he wanted to be a Marine from when he was a senior in high school. But he's an excellent student, had scholarship opportunities for wrestling, etc. And I made him go to college for a year, and then he came back to me. And I said, you know what? I'm proud of you. I couldn't be more proud of what you want to do. If you want to be a Marine, get after it. And that's what he's doing. And then he's going to finish his college on the other side. So for, again, the parents and grandparents out there, make sure that your your kids and grandkids understand the opportunity. You're not going to make a lot of money in the military. But, you know, like uh, Mr. Spore said, the uh, all that you learn there is, is I don't know that it can be replicated. So uh, when you do come out and you get into the private sector, um, I think there's just a world of opportunity. So don't forget that. Uh, again, if you forget everything else, try to keep that in mind, folks, because it'll help you and your families. So um, what do you think um, the the big picture is, Mr. Spore, for the United States military going forward? I mean, are, are we kind of touched on some of it, but are we really headed in the right direction or do we have major changes to be made? I worry, and I'm speaking specifically about the recruiting picture, I worry that um, it's not getting better. And you can look at other Western countries like South Korea and Germany and others, and they have real problems uh, recruiting the numbers they need for the military. And I worry that our country's heading in the in the same direction if we don't change something, if we don't make public service a more virtuous and appealing uh, opportunity for young people and you know, I know your people, your audience is interested in financial things, and you know, college debt is the number two source of debt in this country. And if if people did like your son did and 
uh, took three or four or five years off, went to the military, came out. Their college essentially is going to be paid for, and it and it's not you know cheap college. It's really almost wherever they want to go, and so that's a that's one way for young people to get out, be free of debt, have a college education, and have life skills that will that will serve them well for the rest of their lives. Yep, amen to that. That's uh, that's so true. So, um, folks, if you would like to read uh, Mr. Spore's article titled "How Can We Help the Military Fight for the Future of Our Country," along with all the other um, uh, things that he's penned and resources, you can go to heritage.org, and uh, it's Thomas. His last name is spelled um, S P O E H R. And just look that up. Type it, uh, and they have a search uh, area, and all of his stuff will come up. And I know you're going to enjoy it. And you know what? Just go ahead and read an article or two, and when you go to a party over the weekend, you're going to be like the the smartest person in the room because you'll be talking about stuff that other folks don't know anything about. Mr. Spore, thank you so much again for taking time um, out of your schedule to be with us for all that you've done as far as service and that you continue to do to, you know, to help the country and with your testifying before Congress and just helping uh, overall. I really appreciate it. Uh, And I appreciate it, too, and I also please – Thank your son for me for his service. I'll do that. He's coming home for the weekend. He's uh, going to visit us, so I'll let him know about our conversation. And, uh, again, thanks for everything. And down the line, we'll touch base with you and uh, see, again, if we are improving, if recruiting's getting a little bit better. Because, as I mentioned, folks, at the uh, at the beginning of this, if you don't have national security, you don't have economic security, you don't have financial security, so we have to make sure we understand what's going on with our uh, national defense and uh, who's running it and, you know, how well or how poorly they're doing and really, really educate ourselves. So um, I really enjoy talking with uh, Mr. Spore. We'll bring him on hopefully uh, down the road like we always try to bring various guests on um, again for follow up. And uh, that does it. Uh, by the way, the. Um, complimentary on the website your uh, Murray Financial Group is are you paying too much in taxes in retirement um, and Mr. Spore's uh, article is how can we help the military fight for the future of our country have a great rest of the weekend and uh, we'll talk with you on the morning news express the business update at 550 every weekday morning that's live And then we're back here next Saturday. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success. It was a perfect day for the end of May, they say, a record high. I stand at that green water on out of the blue and by surprise. She had her feet up on the cooler. As she put our love on ice She grabbed a beer, said I'm out of here And walked out of my life oh, That was a cold editions of this program are available in the audio vault at wfmd.com news radio 930 wfmd frederick a connoisseur media radio station seven o'clock